You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. All right, it's uh, great to be together, and um, it is sobering, you know, as we start off our sermon with that video, and if you look at the video there, I mean, just what Mufi and Jesse are talking about, these are age-old, ancient gripes that are coming to bear uh, even today. So that's what we're going to be talking about today and how important it is to let things go and uh, really use the, the, the love of God to do that for us. Uh, happy belated Thanksgiving, everybody. Let me see if this thing works. Oh. Well, anyway, happy Thanksgiving. It's great to be here. Uh, I know that a lot of us are traveling throughout uh, the country. You know, we have visitors uh, coming in from uh, San, Francisco, San Francisco and in Denver. They have to go back, so the traveling is pretty bad. And I want to welcome those who are traveling and here with us today on the West Side, worshiping with us today. Uh, Lena and I had a bunch of people over. Uh, Lena cooked the whole week, uh, so it was awesome. Uh, I like turkey. We still have a ton of turkey left in our house and feel a little bit like Forrest Gump. You know, remember when Bubba was like, you got some shrimp gumbo. It's like, you got turkey gumbo. You got turkey pie. I had some soup last night and look in. It was like a bunch of turkey in there. It was like turkey everywhere. But I, I love turkey, so it's great. And uh, so it's been cold this past week. So we had uh, some relatives from, from Denver. And they're like, you know, th- this is great for them, right? So we had my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law come into town, and they rented a hotel down by the beach, and they're out throwing the football around. They're like, they're wondering where I am. I'm like in the lobby, right? <laughs> like, why? Why go outside? I'm in the lobby. It's like a nice hotel, free uh, hot chocolate, free, you know, free chocolate there. And they had a musician there, and I was the only one listening. I was like, great. <laughs> I heard he got a little bit mad at me and not going out, but hey, look, you know, he's got to deal with his own bitterness. That's not, uh, so that's what we're going to be talking about today, okay? But we are thankful, and we? I mean, we are really lucky people. We, I grew up in a war zone. So, you know, Billy and I, we talk about that sometimes, and I grew up, you know, at nighttime, the mortars would come in, and it, it does something to you. And you just grow up just afraid of noise, and you're afraid of loud things going on, and I'm 53 years old and it still affects me today. You know, so we're lucky. We're, we go to bed at night and, you know, we don't, we don't have to worry about being bombed and stuff like that. So I, I think we have all the reasons to be thankful today. Amen? Alright, we're gonna be looking at Luke 15. Uh, you know, we've been doing the, the parables all summer long and we're gonna to conclude tonight in Luke 15. And theologians and people have really said that this is probably the best parable that Jesus told. And this is the most, the greatest parable, if you will. And there's two parts of it. Last week, uh, Steve did about the, the younger son, and today I'm going to cover the older son. But really, it's not really even about the older son or the younger son. It's really about the father, and how he led his family, and how he guided his family through this time. And uh, reunions are always like that, right? There's always good stuff about reunion. We love being together. We love eating food together. But it also brings out the best in us, but it also sometimes brings out some feelings there, some, some of the worst things as well. So it's pretty tough uh, as we go through this holiday season together for some folks. And I, I look around and there are some of us have lost family members this past year as well. And this is the first you know, holiday season where they're not around. So this is, it's, it's a mixed bag, you know, when we talk about the holiday season. So hopefully today, when we look at the scriptures, you know, we'll look at God's answer uh, for, for us today. Luke 15 is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible because it's so rich. 
is so rich about who God is. And it comes from who's describing God? Jesus, His Son. And who would know God better than, than, than Jesus? No one. So Jesus really pours out His heart in describing to us who God is. And today, you know, we're going to look at who God is, but in, in His totality. Not in the sentimental way that we like to look at it and how we envision God and what we think God should be. But Jesus tells us who God really is and the love and the firmness and, and how He runs His family here on earth. But the Bible is really cool because the Bible, you know, we think of often the Bible is, you know, God's a killjoy and all this stuff. That's totally not true. When you read the Bible, I mean, there are stories about festivals and, you know, scriptures like rejoice, rejoice always. I will tell you again. The Bible is really full of rejoicing. And it's the good news. Amen? So Luke 15 starts off with rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. You know, a, 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 you know, a goat, a sheep. Rejoice with me again. I have found my lost coin. I, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So the, really the crux of the story is about lost and found and really finding something. And here, you know, we're talking about an inanimate object, the coin, you know, uh, maybe it was a, you know, she was a uh, financial planner, found her coin, they're really excited about that. The other one's probably a farmer, you know, found the sheep and, you know, they're really excited. They called the whole gang together to celebrate. But Jesus moved on from there and he talked about something much, much more deeper than that. And his audience we have to really understand the audience of Jesus' uh, uh, that, that he was speaking to. He had people that were poor. He hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors. So he had that segment. But he also had the religious people as well that were interested in what people were, what Jesus was saying, but at the same time, he was thinking, you know, they're going to try to trap him as well because they had their own way of worship and it was set. And here's Jesus, you know, the disruptor the revolutionary, and they're like, okay, what is he going to say that's going to really disrupt our community? So here comes a story about the two sons. And it started off really well. You know, the, the, the son comes back home after years, perhaps, of wasting the father's money, and he comes back home, and the Bible says, let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine is dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You know, again, we, we, we're pretty lucky. We, we can eat meat pretty much any time we want. I remember growing up, meat was a very special thing. And we grew up in a wartime. There was ration and stuff like that. We only had chicken, like maybe, you know, three times a year. Beef, I don't, you know, we didn't have that much. Anytime we had butter, that was a treat. I remember peanut butter was a particular favorite of mine when we had it, you know. So when we read passages like that, we have to kind of take ourselves out of our own environment and understand what they were going through. For them to kill the fattened calf at that time was a very, very special thing. And usually, you know, the whole community would gather together. If we look at this passage by itself, we go, okay, it's a big party. Here's this kid that was, you know, selfish and he went off and then he came on back and then the father you know had him back you know uh, and then he they celebrate but here's 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 the point about that story as we transition he didn't come back like nothing happened there was a transformative time for him in his life that when he went out he did not get what he expected living it up, spending the Father's money. Life in itself has some incredible lessons 
that only life can teach. You know, a lot of times we, we, we look at each other in the church and, and, and this is really, it, it's an anomaly. In the church, we take anybody and everyone come in and we expect each other to be Christ-like and, you know, especially when we do something wrong, we expect them to be Christ-like to us. But I love the story here where the father says, you want to take the money, you want to go? Go ahead. And that's me. I think the father was much more loving than that. But that's my attitude. You want to go? Go. Right? But the father in his wisdom knew that this kid, this kid can only be taught by life itself. He got beaten up pretty bad. You know, I know a lot of us, we, we grow up in a church, some of the singles in here, some of the campus in here, you grow up in a church, and sometimes we, we, we take the church for granted. Sometimes we don't appreciate what's in the church. I became a Christian when I was 21. And I tell you what, even at that age, it got beat up pretty bad. And a lot of loneliness. A lot of, a lot of times when, you know, I thought I had friends, but, you know, it really didn't work out. And it, it was painful. Stuff that I did, stuff that I looked at, I go, you know, it's 30, 40 years later, I, it, I still remember it till this day. It's embedded in my heart and in my mind. It's seared in there. And how I wish I could get rid of it. It's not all that good out there. Right? So here's, here's the thing. He came back. He goes, when he came to his senses, that's a really common word, theme, in, in, in ancient times. He came to himself. You know, the, the literal translation. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He learned something monumental, this kid. He understood that what he did affected the father on a personal level. And he understood that what he did had consequences for other people. And to me, that's what maturity is. So much of maturity is understanding that what we do has consequences with other people. And, you know, we read a lot of these different little youth, you know, phrases and stuff like that. You know, what is bitterness? Bitterness is, is drinking poison yourself and hoping that, you know, someone else gets hurt. Well, the truth is, so other people do get hurt because of our sins. We do affect other people. That our demeanor, our, our attitude, our selfishness, and that's what maturity is. And the kid finally got it. He goes, that's in against heaven. I mean, I, I don't know what that means, but you know, he says, the totality of it, I've influenced, and I've hurt things I don't even know that I've hurt. And I know that I've hurt you also, uh, my father. That's maturity, is understanding you know, we have an eight-year-old, and I, we love her to death. I mean, she is the most spoiled little kid. You know, she's got a little heart. She's got a little birthmark here. She's got a little heart. It's the size of a heart. You know, we're like, man, that's from, she's from God, you know. And, you know, we're watching her grow up, and it's cool, you know. But part of maturity is understanding her environment, right? So she's, like, carrying her milk, and she's all excited. It's like, Gabby, 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 you know. You can't do two things at the same time. It's understanding our environment, and the kid finally gets it. A sin against heaven. And against you. And it was cause for great celebration. And the father killed the fat and calf, called all the neighbors together, and they began to celebrate. Prodigal, you know, is known as a parable, is, uh, you know, spending money or resources freely, recklessly, wastefully extravagant. The prodigal habits are hard to die. And... And yet, when we look at the prodigal son, and that's what he did, right? He took, he took the father's money, demanded it, and the father actually gave it to him. That blew my mind. 
And it's not, it's not that unusual, actually. If you look at the ancient times, that there were you know, fathers who gave out their inheritance early for maybe a wedding or something like that. So it's not that, that, that highly unusual, but it does happen, right? So he demands it, but the father actually acquiesced to it and gave it to the son. He went out and he wasted all this money. So it was great celebration. And as Americans, we love happy endings, don't we? We love movies that have a happy ending, uh, we love, you know, like TV shows that end at 60 minutes. Uh, we even have a show called 60 Minutes. Yeah, we, we love it. All right, so I watch some of these shows and it's like, he's like 45 minutes in and, you know, man, is he the killer? No, he can't be the killer. We got 15 more minutes to go. You know, so he's like, it's, we like that neat package stuff. But I told you, Jesus was a revolutionary. He was a disruptor. And at this moment, everybody had the funny good feelings, but he continued in his story. And every time there's a party, every time there's something going on that's good, the Bible continues, says, meanwhile. Meanwhile. The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Meanwhile. All these things are going on. You ever feel that way? You can imagine the world can be celebrating. I was like, it's like, it's like everything would be great. But meanwhile, we have our little things in our hearts. Ooh, we got a little bit of attitude here. A little angry at this person. Can't, you can't even bear to hear that person's name. We can't stand the celebration. Right? You know, the word actually is pretty cool when you look at it. It, it was a full-blown party. It wasn't like, hey, go down to Trader Joe's and get a nine ninety-nine cake, you know, with a little candle on it. It was a full-blown party. And the word itself, music, that's where we get the word uh, symphony, symphony. They had a full nine-piece band playing. And the word dancing, the original language, you know, where we get the word chorus. They had, a, they had dancing and music. And he looked at it. And his heart began to race. And things were coming up, welling up in his heart. Things were welling up in his mind. He was triggered as we use our modern vernacular. We love that word these days, right? Triggered. Why do you hate people? I I was triggered. You want to kill someone? I was triggered. He triggered me. We use that. And, And it's good. It's a good word. But we overuse it sometimes, right? It's almost like we're blaming outside. All these different things. They, they trigger me. I'm the innocent one. And there are all these triggers all around me. Right? And, and, but in this particular case, it was. Meanwhile, he was outside. He wasn't even in the house. He wasn't even, he wasn't even participating. But today, as we saw with the younger son, we're going to see how the dad deals with the older son. And the title of our lesson today is simply entitled, The Prodigal Father. He is extravagantly wasteful, if you really think about it. I was thinking this past week, how many people enjoyed their food? How many people lived in their nice houses this past week? Had the fireplace going, warm? And didn't even bother to think about where their food came from. Really? I think there are so many people today, and, and yet God still... Gives freely and lovingly and, and really, uh, he is the prodigal father, as we're going to talk about today. 
And here's what we're going to learn about the lesson today. This is one point. Unless we become more and more like God. Unless we become more and more like God, we will be crushed by the burden of what God wants us to be. Turn the other cheek. Love your neighbor just as, as thyself. Seek and save the lost. Don't do these things, for they are improper for God's holy people. Unless we become more and more like God. That's the only way that we can do this. Brothers, sisters, that's the only way. It is impossible to live a godly life without God. We will be crushed by the burden of what God wants us to be. He wants us to be great. He wants us to be like his son Jesus. You know, that's the difference between religion and Christianity, to be honest with you. Religion is like, you know, I was in Asia. You know, we make a little idol, stick it on top, go, ooh, you're God, ooh, I'm not, ooh, you know, let me give you some stuff. But you know, Christianity says, you actually need to become like me. You actually need to become like my son, whom I sent to you as an example. Unless we become more and more like God, we'll be crushed. We'll live a miserable existence. And I've seen it. I've been a minister for a long time. Some of the most miserable people on the face of the earth, I tell you not, it's not the young son. He's out there partying away until he runs out of money. It's not the people that are really in love with God and really enjoying the Word of God and getting God's heart. It's the people in the middle. They're miserable. They're always trying to figure out, i got to do what's right, i got to do what's right, i got to do what's right. But they really don't have the heart for it, nor the power to do it. And it's really hard. It's really, really hard. So he called one of his servants and he asked him, says, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fat calf because he has him back safe and sound. Didn't even bother to find out for himself. He calls one of the servants together and he, he, he just gets a piece of the information. And before we go any further, I'll be honest with you, before we look down on this brother, I relate to this guy more than anybody in the Bible. You see, I've been a disciple for about 30 years. I've learned how to do all the stuff outside. And I do it quite well. <laughs> I really, you know, I know what to say, I know what to do, I know what to look. You know, I know to turn it on, turn it off. I do. And there's nothing wrong with that at times. You have to do stuff that you don't want to do. You have to change your attitude. You have to deny yourself. It's a good thing. But man, if I'm not careful, I got, I got stuff stewing in my heart. I got recipes for disaster, man. I mean, I, I, got, I got a bitterness dip that I'm working on for the holidays, you know. I'll tell you the ingredients. Squash, beets, bitter melon. Mash them all up. Right? I, I, I got to figure that out. So here's this piece of information from the servant. And the servant says, hey, can I go back now? <laughs> I mean, everybody's having a good time. Except, meanwhile, him. You ever feel that way? You ever feel that way? There's some unresolved things. We all have. Steve asked me today, he said, what do I think, you know, about, you know, what, what can we do, you know, for the last, you know, some thoughts, you know, on, on the last month of the year. The last month, it's not even at the year, it's the last month of a decade. Right? 
It's such a great opportunity for us to get the junk out during this last month. For goodness sake, start the new decade off with a clean heart, amen? If there's any other time to do it, now's the time. Right? He gets a little piece of information, and, and that's what happens when we're bitter and when we're angry. We tend to gravitate towards what we want to hear and what's really the totality and the reality of the situation. Right? And it gets him even more mad. He's like fuming, probably, at this time. The older brother became angry, refused to go in. So his father had to come out and plead pleaded with him. You know what's amazing about this story? And before we judge the older brother, you know, the younger son left and the father says, here's the money. Do, do your thing. The father actually went out and pleaded with the older son. I actually think the father appreciated the older son for his faithfulness, for his love. All these years. All these years. And I know there are so many of us in this room today. And maybe you're thinking, say, man, is this worth it? All the sacrifice I've had to make over the years. All the things I had to give up. I could have had this. Could have had that. But man, I gotta give. Toy drive on Wednesday. Special contribution. Steve comes in there and guilts me out about Lebanon. I don't even know what Lebanon is. <laughs> right? Get all these different things. The burden that God puts on us. I tell you this. God came out for the older son and God comes out for us as well. He does. He's a good father. He sees his son struggling. And he comes out and he meets him where he's at. He meets him where he's at. You know, bitterness, remember the son says, I've sinned against heaven and against you? Bitterness is destructive. A hundred years ago, after the World War I, there were five principal players that got together that determined pretty much the new world order. A hundred years ago, literally, it was 1919. I think it was the Treaty of Versailles. And they got together and the big four, there was big five, Japan included, but Japan felt left out. And if you look at the map in there during that decade, you know, it's like you got India was controlled by Great Britain. You got the Dutch down in Indonesia. You got the German, they got a piece of it. You got the Brits and you got, you know, the French with Indo-China. And at that same time, the Japanese, and I'm not saying that they were altruistic and all that stuff, they wanted to be treated as equal among the powers. And they introduced an article called, you know, about the, the human, universal human rights. And they said, we want to be treated the same as all the white dudes, basically. And they... <laughs> I was going to write a book. I was going to call it, Dear White People, It's Not All Your Fault. Uh, but a lot of it is. But you know, I mean, it's, 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 they're like, hey, look, you got a bunch of land and all we want is a little piece of it. And there were legislation, even in America, the Chinese Exclusion Acts. And, 
you know, limited their immigration to America like, to like a hundred people a year. Some ridiculous number, don't quote me. And it was bitterness. There was bitterness in the Japanese hearts. They said, hey, look, we're not being recognized. And for years, they built out the military. And in 1941, as Americans were eating their leftover turkeys, there was a huge fleet of Japanese warships steaming towards Pearl Harbor. They're going to get even. They're going to make sure that their power is recognized. Bitterness runs at so many levels. And it's destructive. And if we don't get a hold of it in our own lives, it's going to destroy our families. It's going to destroy the fabric of our groups. And it's going to destroy ourselves. Here's the next one here that's maybe closer to home. Things change. And we're not talking about these global things happening, you know, 8,000 miles away. But a lot of things change and it affects us. And either we really get the heart of God and see things in God's way, or we're going to be crushed by the changes that's happening around the world. Who are these people? These are premier quarterbacks in the NFL. Ten years ago, twenty years ago, you would never see this because the best quarterbacks were white dudes. You got guys like Troy. You got guys like Joe. Names like Joe. You know all these different. But now you got you got like Lamar. <laughs> Woo! He's like, what's the score, by the way? I don't, I never mind. I got guys like Lamar and Deshaun. <laughs> I was like, woo! They're like out there lighting it up. <laughs> I got these stats for you. I, yeah, I got to throw this in. All right. 19, 2019, year to date. Best quarterback. Lamar, Patrick, Russell, Dak, Deshaun. You know, <laughs> I don't think that's a white dude. It's, it's, it's a black dude, right? I don't think he's Asian either. I was, I was hoping he was Asian. But um, things are changing. And in the world today, there's a backlash towards that change. And whether we like it or not, the world's changing. How do we deal with it? It's really, really important. Look at the stats. They're awesome. QBR is quarterback rating by ESPN. Lamar, Lamar Jackson says that, you know, <laughs> when he's in the game, I don't know how they do it. You know, 49 points. He himself alone accounts for like 49 points in the game added to their team. Patrick Mahomes, 37. Lamar Jackson, when he runs, every, he adds 30 points to the game. Look at the bottom there. There's some white dude, Kirk Cousin. Every time he runs, they lose two yards. <laughs> and that guy's like, oh, two yards back. I mean, Don't touch the ball, Kirk. <laughs> Give it to someone else. <laughs> you know, do a handoff, right? Things are changing. And, and, and I know we're all joking and stuff like that. Things are changing. I mean, we're becoming more, more, just everything around the world. Instead of fighting it, we really got to really figure out how do we deal with it, right? It's a good thing. And, and attitudes are changing. You know, with Lamar Jackson, he's like running wild. He's doing great. One of the sports writers actually had to apologize because when he came into the league, the sports writer actually says, yeah, Lamar, he'll never make it as a quarterback. He's not a prototypical quarterback. 
And he was the one that advocated for Lamar to change and become a wide receiver when he comes into the NFL. He had to issue an apology, I think, recently for that. Let's go back to our story. But he answered his father, you know, words are so important, right? Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I can celebrate with my friends. You know, words, they betray us. From the overflow of the heart, the Bible says. All these years. Look at the way he looks at himself. He doesn't see himself as a son. He sees himself as a slave. He doesn't see himself as doing something for the wealth or for the good of the family. Just a bunch of orders. Instead of understanding who he is as the son, as the son of the father, he, I just want a goat. I just want a little goat. I think one of the things about being a Christian, one of the saddest tragedies to me is people that don't know who they are. Christians who don't know who they are. So they've got to fight for every little dumb thing that is out there. It's legit, but it's not the most important thing. Right? My friends. Who are his friends, I wonder, that allowed him to go through all these years of this bitterness? What kind of friends did he have? Social media, probably. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, Boomer. Okay, me. Uh, so, right? Who are his friends? Who do we surround ourselves with? Do people help us? Or do they, do they just kind of just mesh in there with our bitterness? That's all he wanted. It was a goat. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> Eat one of those things. But when this son of yours, he continues. Have you ever been so mad at somebody? You can't even mention their name and the thought of their presence just despises you. You're just like, ugh. That's what it was. This son of yours. You can't even say his name. That's how much has really eaten at him over the years. Who said about the prostitute? He added that in there. No one mentioned anything. <laughs> the prodigal father, as we close on out. My son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. You know what the father did here when that sentence is so brilliant. What does he do? He restores the relationship that was broken. He says, you are my son. I don't care what you think. You know, when I read this, I think about how we should let people, when we're messed up, we should let people tell us what the truth is. We should. It's a good thing. So the father comes to the son and says, My son, you are my son. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say. You're my son. You're always with me. Always. Even when you were not with me, I was with you. And everything I have is yours. True statements. In ancient times, when the father dies, he gets everything. The son already spent his. Everything is his. There's a flip side to that too. Because he was angry, because... Everything that was his had to be spent on the son now who squandered everything. Yes, 
it costs us something. You see, the older son, he wasn't just mad at the son, the younger brother, he was mad at the father for the way that he treated the younger son. Unless we become more and more like God, we will be crushed by the demands and the burdens that God puts on us. As his people. If we're not, we can do whatever we want, right? We already established that. But if we are going to be God's people, unless we become more and more like God, we're not going to make it. We're not going to make it. He continues. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. Son, notice what he didn't say. He didn't come down on the brother. That was legit what the older brother felt. I hope that we understand that. It's legit. Christianity is not shoving stuff underneath and you know being weird, being, you know... No, we deal with stuff. Yes, we do. But we also focus on what's bigger than us. Amen? I want to say a little bit something about God. It says the Lord saw a great... And, and just about who God is. It's not like He's this unfeeling, uncaring aloof what we do affect God as well in the book of Genesis it reads the Lord saw a great man's wickedness uh, uh, how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on earth and his heart was deeply moved uh, troubled and, and, uh, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord it affects God by the way what we do just, just, just FYI. It does. In a deep way. Isn't it so true? It, every inclination. I'm, I'm at 24 hour fitness trying to run off the turkey, you know. It's like, it's like I'm, I'm there and there's all these videos and these music videos comes on. It's abusive. I tell you. They, they, if the music is good, you don't have to abuse women and make them dress in scantily clad clothes. I'm running around and all these butts running around all over in front of my face. I'm like, come on. I'm serious. I think we have to be careful what we allow to come into our hearts and in our minds. It's not, it, that's, that's not good. And I think we have to have a conviction about things like that. Amen? Even songs that we listen to, they're, they're catchy. You know, she's up all night till the sun. That means that she's having fun. You know, but I'm all, you know, I'm all night to get lucky. I mean, it's like, it's like what kind of values? It's every inclination. I appreciate God. He found favor he found Noah and he says, I got hope for the human people. Nedra sang this song. It's called Imagine. And Jesus imagined a community that had values like him. John imagined a community of people like us that would live up to what God wants us to be. At this time, I'm going to ask uh, Ryan Best to come on up and read from John a letter that John wrote to his people. And I'm going to ask Midge as well to come up and, and finish that off. It's First John, and please follow along as we think about what we can build together. Imagine what we can build together here on the West Side. Amen? All right. All right. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. 
He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. 1 John 4, 7-12 through 12. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. 1 John 4, 16-21. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.